the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Are you into the idea of AI, computer-driven intelligence that could make all kinds of human tasks simpler and easier? Well, even if you aren't, AI is here in a really big way. Today, we're going to talk about ChatGPT, a tool that has major investment from Microsoft and that is raising real questions about the possibilities of AI, yes, but also about the potential dangers. It's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. So for many of us, and I'll count myself in this category, AI, artificial intelligence, computer-driven intelligence, has been kind of relegated to the stuff of science fiction novels and movies. I don't pay a lot of attention to it. I don't necessarily interact in spaces where I feel like AI is an issue. And it always seems like something that might be coming someday. But in very real ways and in very stark terms, AI is actually here right now. And there are a lot of people really starting to talk all the time about it. Many are specifically talking about something called ChatGPT. Now, that's an AI software that searches the Internet to understand how people communicate. And then it mimics that communication in a written response to a prompt given to it by a person. A little later in the hour, we're going to get much closer into the details about how chat GPT works, what it means for us, and what this tells us about the world of artificial intelligence. But before we do that, we want to focus on what it's doing here in Michigan, and in particular, what it's doing in our schools. That's because some students have been using chat GPT to do their homework and write their essays for them. And this has provided for a lot of headaches for teachers and administrators. To talk about how school staff are dealing with this new problem and what ChatGPT actually offers students on the positive side, we've got Ron French here with us. He is a senior writer for Bridge Michigan and recently authored a piece titled, Did Johnny Write This or a Robot? AI chatbots rock Michigan schools. Ron, welcome back to Detroit Today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. So uh, people in our generation uh, remember the idea of, you know, buying papers that other people had written uh, (laughs) as being a big threat in schools and the kind of uh, copying that people might do uh, from other sources. 
this idea of chat GPT is something entirely different. I think it's orders of magnitude different, in fact. Uh, but briefly, tell our listeners what it is and how it works and how it's become a problem in our schools. Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, this is something that really is uh, just coming on the horizon in um, Michigan schools and uh, universities. Uh, this, this, this newest uh, version of this technology, the one that's really got people uh, scrambling, um, just came on the market uh, last fall. And uh, it quickly moved in, in, into the classrooms, as you might expect, because, uh, because uh, our kids and grandkids are much faster at picking up this stuff than we are. But basically, uh, you, you described it, Steve, it, 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 it sort of, uh, sort of uh, scrolls the Internet to find information for you on, on whatever topic you want to write about. Uh, and then uses the language of the, frankly, of the age group you ask it to write it as. You know, say, if you were to say, write a high school essay about the Roman Empire, you know, it, it, it takes about five seconds to think about it and then, then about 10 seconds to write it. Um, it's, 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 um, it's really a step forward, but, but it, it, when you say that, um, I think it's important to note that when you say that, like, you know, it's just, just burst on the scene here. It's really one of those things where, like, it, it, it happens gradually and all at once, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's uh, because if, if, if anyone who's ever, like, sent texts and uh, you see that uh, you, you, your, your phone completes the sentence for you yes, uh, because you've used that phrase <laughs> before, that's, that's basically a kind of AI. It, it, it's, it's predicting what you're going to say by what you've said in the past. Well, this is the same sort of thing, except predicting what, what an essay or something may, may look like based on what everyone who's ever written anything uh, has, has, has said before. Yeah, that's a great, I think that's a great analogy to the, the kinds of predictive text that we have on phones and, uh, and on our computers. And all of us, I think, um, have things we like about that, and then we have things mm-hmm. that really frustrate us about it, right? Uh, it, it's strange to have somebody else trying to substitute their brain for yours, for your ideas and, and expressions. Um, so, so let's talk about how students are using chat GPT. Are they just doing it uh, you know, to have someone else do their homework for them, or is it useful to try to actually learn different things, to, to expose yourself to different styles of writing or creativity or different perspectives uh, with this technology that works, as you point out, really quickly. I mean, it's a matter of seconds that uh, you get back what you've asked for from this tool. Sure. It's, it's a little bit of both. It depends on what you want it to do, uh, how you want to. It's a tool. So it depends on the person running the tool as to, as to uh, whether it's uh, for good or bad. Um, the teachers I spoke to um, um, said, many of them said that they had run into papers that had been turned in that they felt uh, were likely written by, by this sort of technology mm-hmm. as opposed to the individual. Um, that's, you know, if, if, as, as they said, well, you know, we see these kids writing every day. And uh, this just didn't sound like them. Or, or oftentimes, at this point, it's it's more generic 
um, to the point, and, you know, that, that it just didn't seem right. Frankly, I'm, I'm doing, um, I'm reading applications for internships right now, and I think some of the cover letters were written by ChatGPT. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, 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 you, there are some kids, and, and, and they said, well, it's, 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 it's the, the, the students who are going to use this um, to cheat, as they would say, um, are, are the same students who would have been using it, uh, using some other uh, way to right, cheat. Right, they would do it another way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in our day, you know, there was cliff notes uh, when we didn't read the sure. book. Read and, and 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 you know, and 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 maybe someone helps you write a story or, or whatever. But but you know, there, this this is a new version of that. And as and as the teacher said, cheating's been around forever, and it's not going away. This is just a new version of it. But to answer the other side of that question, Stephen, I think this is really important. Uh, many teachers are looking at this and saying, "This is here. It's it's just like calculators are here in uh, for math classes." You know, it is a tool. We need to figure out how to use this in a way that actually, you know, um, gives us an opportunity to teach more about writing. Mm-hmm. Because maybe this gives us a start for a story. You know, what, that that's something that, that several teachers said. Maybe this is a way that we will, uh, we can say, we want you to write about X, Y, Z. And everyone go to chat GPT, at your, you know, here, here in the room here, and put in this prompt and see what it comes up with, and use that as a way to get past the sort of writing block that you may have at the beginning yeah. of, of, of writing. And you, you, Steve, you and I are very familiar with that, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. And, 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 and um, so, so this is a way to like get people taught, you know, to, to get something on paper, and then from there expand on it. And, and 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 say more about this, or put it in my own words. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking with uh, Ron French, a senior writer for Bridge Magazine. He's also the associate editor there. Uh, he recently wrote a new piece about how the artificial intelligence technology called ChatGPT is affecting students and teachers here in Michigan. Would love to hear from you, the listeners, during this conversation. Have you heard of? chat gpt uh, is it something that you or your children uh, are, are are using are you excited or concerned about this as a new technology also would love to hear from teachers or someone else who works in schools who's maybe worried about how this technology is being used by students is this showing up in your classrooms is this showing up in the schoolwork that uh, that students do in your classrooms. Uh, also, give us a sense, if you're an educator, of what you see as the positive possibilities for this kind of technology. Have you figured out a way to incorporate it into the classroom uh, that makes a lot of sense from your point of view? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation uh, that way. Uh, I wonder, Ron, has this reached the, 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 the sort of level of curricular discussion yet? I mean, as you point out, this is, this is pretty new. Uh, teachers are just starting to encounter it. But I, I imagine at some point there has to be a big picture discussion about 
hey, how do we harness this uh, to, to, to be an effective tool, a useful tool in our classrooms, and how do we perhaps uh, automate uh, the, the process of discovering this? I mean, is, it, is there talk about uh, software that, uh, that teachers might develop or that schools might develop to try to spot when, um, when a student is, is using this the wrong way? Absolutely, and, and all that's, as you can imagine, just uh, uh, all in process now. Um, everyone's trying to figure it out and coming, diff- coming up with different conclusions. Um, you know, a couple of school systems, um, large ones, New York City and Seattle, have banned chat GPT from their mm-hmm. in-school Wi-Fi networks, um, you know, a uh, feeling that, that this, we just don't want to deal with this. Uh, but most schools just haven't really, it's, it's just too new. They, they just don't know what to do with it yet, and it's up to the individual teachers and at the university level at, at the professors. They're, just as, as you would expect that, that there's a sort of technology to write these papers, there is technology being developed to identify when, when these things are written by, by a robot. Um, and there's something called turn it in, um, all one word, turn it in, uh, that is supposed to be a technology, the first first draft of technology to to recognize this sort of writing. Um, so um, people are starting to look at, to use that, um, but you know the, it, the, the challenge is it's it's just going to start keep developing. So what, you may ban something right now, um, but the, the fact is, you know, already ChatGPT has like I think it's ChatGPT 4.0. That is supposed to be coming out uh, by um, the end of the year. Hmm. Uh, that's supposed to be much, much better than, than this is. Um, and, and frankly, you can ban it on the um, in-school uh, Wi-Fi networks, but there are TikTok videos that, that you can watch on your phone that show you how to use it. So it's, 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 the, the kids already know about it. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to use it. So the, so the question is, how do you incorporate it more than how you can ban it? Right. Right. Uh, we should also note that uh, this is so interesting to uh, Silicon Valley and, and technology firms uh, that Microsoft has invested $10 billion uh, in the chat GPT developer. Uh, so, I mean, this is not this is not something they're toying with. This is something they are absolutely uh, doubling down on. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones, let's go to Rajat in Ypsilanti. Rajat, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Tim. Hi. Thank you for having me. Sure. Um, so I have a, it's a semi-question, semi-comment. <laughs> you can take it whichever way. So, you know, like for the for cheating, um, when you write something for grad school, when you do an assignment, there's a software which checks your work with the work of other people that turn in that software and tells you if you cheated or not, right? Why can't you feed it ChatGPT's reply for that same assignment and check it? And then you can detect easily if you, if you cheat it or not. Because how many, surely it depends on the prompt, but mm-hmm. for a particular assignment, the prompts are limited. And um, you can you will have one or two ChatGPT variants of right. those answers, and you can compare. Yeah. No, that's a really interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting way to... Of thinking about it, uh, Ron. I, I, I mean, again, teachers and administrators are just kind of trying to figure out how, how to deal with this. But is there, you know, I, I suppose if you had a classroom full of students mm-hmm. and you gave them all the same 
prompt and they, you know, uh, and more than one of them put it into chat GPT, what does it return different, uh, you know, different answers to the same question from different places, I guess is one of the one of the questions that uh, Rujat's uh, uh, question raises is is how how crafty I guess is this thing in in differentiating even what it what it spits back out? Right, and that's a very good question. Um, it, it, in my very limited experience uh, messing around with ChatGPT and a couple of other similar uh, AI uh, writer generating uh, programs. Uh, is that it doesn't spit out the exact same words if you if you ask the same prompt again. It, but it's similar. Uh-huh. Um, but there is a program, and and I don't know if you can do this with ChatGPT or not by putting it in a prompt. But there's another program. I think it's called RYTR. Uh, that you you can do the prompt. You know, uh, you know, you know, write an essay about the pros and cons of artificial artificial intelligence in classrooms, and then it and asks you if if you want it written as a male or a female, mm-hmm. ask if you want it writ- written in an assertive fashion, a uh, you know a humorous fashion, <laughs> no. uh, you know a, a, a um, complimentary fashion, and 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 I, I plugged in some of those, and and it does sound very different. Um, the, the thing that that some of those programs are used for, ChatGPT is getting all the publicity right now, but there are other programs out there that that are meant for businesses that it saves you the time of writing these rote emails or, or press releases that, that, that organizations do that, that can, that can spit these things out in a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but to answer the question, yeah, it, it, you can, you can get a sense of, of, of how things are written. The, the thing that in this at least version, it'll probably get better. Um, it usually does in these situations, but, but at the moment um, it doesn't, th- these programs do not do well uh, with analogies, they don't do well with complex thought. If you're trying to compare the Roman Empire to uh, prohibition in the 1930s, I don't know why you do that. But you know, if, if 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 you start throwing in comparisons, how you know the way a mind might think. You want when you, as a teacher, you want your students to think about things as opposed to just spitting out the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's not great at that yet. Um, so that is one way that teachers are trying to look at this is, is to make their assignments a little more complex and try to outsmart the robot. Right? <laughs> outsmart yeah, for, the for, computer for a few for a few months. <laughs> That's, <I'm> right. Sure. <laughs> That's right. Okay, Ron French of Bridge, Michigan. Uh, always great to have you here talking uh, with us about uh, the stories you write uh, for Bridge, Michigan. Uh, great to have you here this morning to talk about uh, Chat GPT. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about ChatGPT and talk about what it says about AI and what it means for our future. We're going to welcome Washington Post reporter Will O'Ramis to the conversation. He has been writing quite a bit about uh, all of this technology. also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number to call and talk to us about AI. Uh, are you somebody who's using it? Are your children using it? Are you a teacher? You're seeing it pop up in schools. What do you think of it? Uh, Is it a tool that we need to harness to make some things easier for us? Or is it something that we got to really worry about in terms of the authenticity of the way that we communicate with each other? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. 
This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. For years, artificial intelligence has been dreamed up by science fiction writers and scientists alike. They've imagined that a non-human container would be learning, talking, and interacting without the second-by-second manipulation from humans. Often these fantasies are quite dark. They include robots taking our jobs, maybe enslaving humans, and even the death of the human race entirely. If you're a fan of the Terminator series of movies, you understand this, this idea that uh, a network of computers even could become sentient in a way and aware and decide to take on humanity. These things may or may not be real issues in the future. But one thing for sure we know is true already. Artificial intelligence is here. ChatGPT is a form of AI that scours the internet for information and then creates something new based on a prompt. Want Shakespearean poetry about the previous Super Bowl? What about an essay on quantum physics from the writing style of Toni Morrison? These are the kinds of things that ChatGPT can actually do. We were just talking about what this kind of function means for teachers and students in the school context, but now we want to turn to the technology itself. What does ChatGPT mean for all of us? What does this say about artificial intelligence and its potential? Is it impressive or something more similar to a cheap party trick? Or even worse, is this something that we should fear, something that's dangerous. Will ChatGPT be used to spread false information really quickly, something that already happens with humans actually manipulating information? And how will this work during crisis moments, for instance, when there's lots of communication kind of firing back and forth, especially on social media platforms? How will we be able to determine who's a human being talking with us and who's a computer? To talk about all of this, we've got someone who is paying pretty close attention to it. Will O'Ramus is a Washington Post reporter who covers technology and has been writing a lot about chat GPT. Uh, Will, welcome back to Detroit Today. Uh, thanks for having me. So we talked about this a little earlier, but uh, I want to have you explain uh, chat GPT, how it works, and I guess what's new about the way this operates? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that's new about ChatGPT really is the fact that anybody can use it. These types of models have been in development for years. They've been gradually getting better and better. ChatGPT is the latest iteration from a startup called OpenAI based in San Francisco. It previously had GPT, GPT-2, GPT-3, but all of these you had to sort of jump through some hoops to get a chance to try. Um, they've been, again, they've been gradually getting better, but ChatGPT, when it was released, they felt good enough about it to release it to the public and to let anybody sign up and give it a spin. And that made a huge difference because all of a sudden this stuff that had been accessible uh, mostly to, to researchers or people in the AI field, um, maybe a few businesses, suddenly it was accessible to everybody and it went viral. 
So, uh, you know, I, I have to admit that when the producers here on Detroit Today introduced this subject to me, I, I had to admit that I didn't know anything about it. I had not really even heard of ChatGPT, and I really had no idea uh, how it worked. Um, and so, I, I, and I, I think there are a lot of people, uh, and maybe that that's uh, about age or generation, um, you know, who are in the same who are in the same boat. But 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 I guess quickly uh, talk about how this is different from. Uh, for instance, uh, what we do on Google all day, which is ask it questions and it returns information, you know, that is relevant to the question we've asked, right? I can ask about, uh, you know, a trending news topic or or any subject and, and Google helps me sort through information and, and then differentiate it also from things like predictive text on our phones or uh, in Microsoft Word, uh, you know, this idea of thinking ahead of us, which is what I feel like computers are are kind of doing now. Why is ChatGPT distinct or how is ChatGPT uh, distinct from all of those things? Yeah, th- these are great questions. There's a lot to unpack. Uh, predictive text is a very good analogy, actually, to what ChatGPT does. It's much more similar to predictive text than it is to something like using Google. Uh, and I'll explain why. So how ChatGPT works is on a broad level, there's a, a they take in giant data sets, probably scraped from the internet. OpenAI hasn't said actually where all the data comes. But imagine like if you could just scoop up everything anybody's ever posted on Wikipedia and Reddit and, you know, countless other online sites, and then train a computer to sort of pick out the patterns in language so that the computer learns that, uh, for instance, when I say um, it's a beautiful, then the next thing I'm I'm probably going to say is day outside, right? And then mm-hmm. it, it can make predictions from there. So, I mean, predictive text is is based on these kinds of models. They're just getting so advanced that now it can not only predict a few words ahead what you're going to say, but it can it can basically like predict a whole essay, right? It can it, you can you can ask it a question and it'll give something that feels like a full answer. Um, it can write huge blocks of text, but it's all it's all just sort of predicting which words and phrases are going to go together based on which ones go together in that huge data set that it's been trained on. So first they they take in all that data and they do what's called supervised learning, where they where the researchers in the lab are watching it make the predictions and then saying, well, no, that you got that wrong and you know, uh, tweaking the model to try to make it better. Uh, but then what they did after that is something called reinforcement learning with human feedback, which sounds complicated, but it basically just means they put out this model for people to use. And as people use it, you you tell it, uh, oh, that was a good answer. You can give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, right? If you give it a thumbs down, then the model learns from that. Oh, I, you know, that wasn't that wasn't the you know whatever what I predicted there was not what the person using it expected. So it tweaks its model from that. So the combination of the supervised learning and the reinforcement learning has just made these models better and better to the point where it's like predictive text on steroids. Um, you brought up Google, which is an interesting. Um, a contrast, really, mm-hmm. because 
you know, when, we, when we use Google, yes, we are sometimes asking it questions about the world. And the way it answers those questions is by trying to figure out, it, it sort of goes through, it catalogs all the, the web pages it can find. And it tries to find out which of those web pages is most likely to answer our question. And then it ranks those at the top of the results and, and sends us to those pages to get our answer. Now, Google has increasingly been getting a little more confident about just answering some questions outright based on the content of those web pages. But for the most part, its main job is still to send us to a source that, that will have our answer. And ChatGPT is, is again, it's, it's not really, it's, it's kind of coming up with what seems like a plausible answer to our question rather than trying to get us to an authoritative source that will actually answer our question. If that yeah, makes sense. yeah. Is it fair to say that um, – and this is one of the things that I think people start to, uh, to fear about this kind of technology. Is this tool learning? Is it capable of learning? I mean you were talking about how – um, you know, it can be taught to identify patterns and then uh, mimic those those patterns, spit them back out. But is it capable of learning? I mean, some of what you were talking about with with the way that we interact with it, making it sort of different and refining it, it comes right up to the edge of of that concept. It it, it seems. Yeah, you know, it's one of the tricky things about AI is the analogies to human thought. The field of AI uh, is in some ways based on human thought, right? It's can we teach can we teach computers to think was sort of the premise of AI. Can we teach computers to be intelligent? Um, and then, uh, you know, our definitions of thinking and intelligent come from our understanding of the human brain, which itself has evolved, the, our understanding has evolved over the decades since the field of AI began. Um, you know, so the people who program uh, in AI are often trying to mimic how the human brain works, but it's never going to be the same as a human brain. So it's always a little fraught when you say that a computer is thinking, for instance, because, uh, you know, it doesn't think in the same way we do, but it is programmed to, you could call it learning. I mean, it is programmed to, um, you know, to, to go through a process of trial and error and to go through this process of reinforcement where when it, you know, when it tries something, if it gets it right, according to its trainers, then it is reinforced to, to do more answers like that. And when the trainers say it got it wrong, then it's negatively reinforced to, to make sure it does something different next time. Um, machine learning is, is a name for, for one field of AI. And so I think, I think the term learning is pretty commonly accepted as an analogy, but it's still an analogy. I mean, a computer is not a human brain um, and, and, you know, it, it, it never will be exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Will O'Ramus of the Washington Post about chat GPT. We want to get to more of your questions and comments as well on the phones and on Twitter. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us on Detroit Today and we can include you in the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've decided to join us. We're talking right now with Will O'Ramus. He's a technology writer for The Washington Post and has been writing about chat GPT and AI recently. That's what we're talking about, this idea of uh, intelligent uh, computers, intelligent uh, technology that is able to at least mimic human thought. Uh, Chat GPT is a pretty popular tool right now on the internet. Uh, it's also attracted major investment from Microsoft, $10 billion uh, being invested in the technology to develop a similar tool uh, for the company that provides us with lots of things, that uh, lots of other tools uh, that we use. We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Give us a call and let us know what you think of chat GPT or AI. What do you make of this kind of technology? Does it excite you or concern you or is it kind of a mix of both? Are you worried about people using it to cut corners or do you think it can unlock some sort of great human creativity? Uh, are you concerned that this will take away jobs in the information economy or do you think it could be a great complement to human work? I think when you think about these tools, there are always two pretty stark sides of the coin in terms of what they might bring us. Good things, but also some things that we might be concerned about. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can uh, we can – we can include you in the conversation that way. Before we get to our listeners, Will, I want to ask you about the concern that this will promote inaccurate or false information. Um, you think of the kinds of things that uh, we've seen almost uh, an industry of false information grow up around uh, the 2020 presidential election, uh, the 2020 pandemic, uh, COVID, uh, there was concerted effort by, by some people to make sure that there were lies uh, told and told on a grand scale about those things. How does this technology uh, feed into that or does it or is it maybe a foil for uh, for those kinds of efforts? I'm trying to figure out where it fits in that conversation. Yeah, I think it's really important for people to understand what ChatGPT does and what it what it doesn't do. And as we discussed, it's it's predictive text on steroids. And so, if you are typing an email, I, th I think maybe more people are familiar with something like autocomplete in Gmail, right? If you're typing uh, an email in Gmail and you say, "I'm I'm so," and then it predicts, "Sorry for your loss." You know, sometimes maybe that's what you were going to say. Other times, maybe you're going to say, I'm so happy for your promotion, right? So you have to make sure <laughs> that you override the autocomplete and, and you know, type in what you were going to say and not just leave it up to the computer. I mean, ChatGPT, again, it's smarter than the autocomplete that we have today in email, but it's the same principle. It, it's guessing, 
what somebody might plausibly say on a certain topic. It is not giving definitive factual information. It is not designed to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe someday there will be ways that they can train these models to be more authoritative and to better understand what they know and what they don't know. But right now they lack that self-awareness. They don't know when they're when they're lying, when they're making stuff up, when they're plagiarizing, uh, or when they're getting it exactly right, which they, you know, which they often do because uh, you know, if you if you study enough of the patterns in language and and you know you study associations between words and concepts, a lot of times what the, what the machine will regurgitate is in fact accurate, or it isn't. It is what an authoritative person would say. Yeah. But again, not always. So anybody turning to these machines as a source of truth, I think, is going to be misled or or disappointed or worse. Um, you know, it can be a source of ideas. Uh, it can be a source of suggestions or inspiration. Um, you know, it's a, it could be a really nice helper tool when you're trying to write something or come up with ideas. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not a, a correct answer machine. Yeah. Uh, now, as for the ways it will be used, uh, I think, you know, li like other forms of automation, this is taking this is taking something that until now has been only uh, that only humans could do, which is write, you know, plausible sounding text on just about any topic um, and and allowing a machine to do that much faster and cheaper. And so people are going to be looking for ways across all sectors of society uh, to, you know, to save some money by letting a machine do the work that humans used to do. So I think we're going to see more and more websites. You know, we you have those websites where, like, if you search for like the best electric toaster or something, right, you'll get you'll get a bunch of websites that are called like bestelectrictoasters.com, and you're like, did somebody really sit down and write all these websites? And is this a real business? Well, no. Those are usually done by you you know, sort of content farms where they they pay a very small amount for somebody to like find some text on toasters and copy and paste it and and rank high in Google results. Well, now you could probably have ChatGPT or another uh, another uh, chatbot do that for you. Another language model do that for you. Um, you know, when people write marketing copy, you know, you might if you're starting a small business and you want to create a website. Right now, you probably have to pay somebody a little money to to figure out what you should say on your website and also how to program it, how to code it, and and you know how to illustrate. You know, maybe pay somebody a little bit to illustrate it or license some stock images to illustrate it. I think in the near future, you could probably just ask a one of these AI machines to, hey, draw up a website uh, advertising a new business in Detroit, uh, you know, that, that's uh, going to do a su you know, a sushi restaurant or something like that. And it could do pretty much all that for you. So it's going to have a lot of uses. It's not going to be a good source of truth. And I think one of the uses that you alluded to is people will probably use these types of machines to generate propaganda um, mm -hmm. on social media, to, to, to spread uh, negative information about a political opponent or something like that. Um, and they will do that by mimicking, um, the, you know, the computers will mimic what actual humans say when they're spreading this type of propaganda. And they'll probably do it very effectively. They'll probably be hard to differentiate from humans. And the fact that they may or may not get it right, you know, that they may be lying or mistaken or plagiarizing, the people who are using social media for propaganda don't care about any of that, right? That's fine with them. And so just the way that bots already on social media are amplifying propaganda, uh, I, you know, I think bots will be writing propaganda quite soon if they aren't already. Wow. Wow. 
Uh, Javier on Twitter says, ChatGPT is an incredible tool that everyone should embrace in this evolving economy. I think I've read somewhere that it's like a calculator for our thoughts. Those universities that don't put systems in place to embrace this tech might suffer in the near future. Big Neo on Twitter says, an author I know posted about loving AI for robot food delivery in Detroit to avoid humans. When she asked about robots to replace authors, he says, when I asked about robots to replace authors, she got upset. AI needs to be limited in its applications. He says he does not want a I replacing hosts like me here on WDET. Uh, Big Neo, I hope that doesn't happen either. Uh, Michael on Twitter says, I understand the take-home essay issue with AI and school, but isn't the jobs issue even bigger? In business, we've had consultants consistently tell us to stop hiring because so many jobs are replaceable by AI. Does chat GPT do this? It's a great question, Will or Amos. What is What are the implications for the work that ChatGPT is doing here and whether it displaces some human work? I think it will displace some human work. I think that I think that's correct. I think that it will displace it. it it's <laughs> I was talking to a source a month or two ago who described it memorably. I probably can't say the full word on the radio, but he called ChatGPT <laughs> the world's greatest BSer. Right? <laughs> it's like any anything where you don't really need it to be um, to be authoritative. You don't need it to be perfect. You just need some plausible sounding text. Or when you know we've talked a lot about ChatGPT, but of course there are also the text to image generators, right? Like Dolly two and Stable Diffusion and mid-journey where you can type in a prompt like um, a, a, public, a public radio host talking to a tech reporter on air and it'll it'll generate a picture that, mm -hmm. that looks like just that you know <laughs> um, these they can they they can all be useful in contexts where perfection is not needed or where like real creativity is not needed or where it's okay if stuff if you know if stuff is wrong, basically, <laughs> uh, there actually are a lot of contexts. I think where that where that's the case. I think you know your your caller or your listener who uh, talked about it as a, a calculator for our thoughts. Mm -hmm. you, it remind me of Steve Jobs' quote about the personal computer uh, that it was like, it would be a bicycle for the mind. I mean, you know, th these analogies are kind of kind of funny in a way, but I think what they get right is that they're really best used as a helper, right? They're 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 best used as uh, something to sort of generate ideas and then a human needs to take over and make sure that they're pointed in the right direction, make sure that they're not getting it wrong, uh, iron out the, the flaws and the kinks in what they've produced. Um, so, you know, as far as replacing authors, I, I don't see it anytime <laughs> soon. I mean, you, you, you read, um, you don't read an author because they can generate a bunch of plausible sounding text on a given topic you read them because they have real fresh insights you know they've thought about something from a certain perspective you know and they've applied not only pattern recognition to the topic but they've applied life experience and and their own you know emotions and values and it's coming from a point of view these tools cannot do that uh, at this point and and not probably not in the foreseeable future. And the same thing, the same thing with art. You know, they're they're really good at at generating art in the style of so and so. 
which, you know, understandably sort of pisses off so-and-so if you're an artist <laughs> and all of a sudden the computer is making art that looks like yours. But it's, there's, there's not the, the spark of creativity there. There's not the substance there. There's not the human point of view and the human uh, emotion and passion behind it. So uh, I think replacing creative work, um, quite unlikely, but replacing stuff like stock photography, right? If you just need something to illustrate uh, a blog post or something to illustrate your marketing copy on the web, and you don't really care if it's perfect or if it, you know, you don't need a, a artistic photographer to do it. Right now, you go to, to like Shutterstock.com or Getty Images or whatever. You pay some money for a photo that somebody has taken in the past, and you slap it on there. You could do that much more cheaply and easily with something like Dolly too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Uh, Matt in Port Huron. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. Um, hey. Can you hear me? Yep. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, you know, I think <clears throat> what makes us human is language. And the more language we teach, the the more dangerous it becomes, and the more we're, we're teaching it to think like humans. You know, I took... Uh, Spanish for, for years and years, and I remember my, my teacher always saying, you know, language is vocabulary, so the more words you learn, the more you will understand. So I just, man, it just, we have, we're so gluttonous about technology, <laughs> and we, we're learning, you know, behind the curve about how there's so many downsides to social media that I think that this is going to be uh, 10 times more dangerous. Yeah, I, I hear that sort of anxiety in your voice, Matt. And, and I think that's a really interesting way to think about it, that the power of language is what distinguishes us from, from other species on the planet. Uh, not that they don't have language of, of a sort, but that the, the sophistication and power of our, of our language skills makes us makes us different. Um, Will, you were talking, though, about how it's actually not teaching the computer or, or, or uh, AI uh, language. It's teaching it language patterns. And there is a distinction there. There's also a distinction between the brain that sits between our ears and whatever brain we design for, uh, for this technology. And, and that has a lot to do with the language distinction as well, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think your caller's right that, that you know, language is one of the things that distinguishes humans. Um, and, and I think it is fair to say that these models are, you know, maybe learning language is a, is a fair thing to say that they're doing. But there's still a vast gap between humans and these large language models. These models do only language, right? I mean, as humans, we do language, but we also have feelings. We have mm -hmm. motivations. We have the ability, we have a model of the world, right? We have a mental model of, of the world outside our brains and a model of ourselves and our role in the world. And we have intentions and plans and we can we predict how our actions will change the world around us. And we have values to guide us in that. Um, those are all things that these language models don't have. And this is not to say there aren't people out there who want to teach them that, right? I mean, there are, there are uh, computer scientists out there who, for whatever reason, feel compelled to make AI smarter and smarter, to keep, you know, pushing it towards 
uh, all the things that humans can do, I guess the same way that, you know, scientists and engineers felt like they should keep working to see if they could build the atomic bomb right in the Manhattan Project. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it doesn't, you know, that, that may or may not be a good idea. Um, there are certainly people working on it, but they're just, they're just still so far off. Uh, and, and as good as these machines are at reproducing human sounding language, uh, they do, they do not have self-awareness. They do not have a model of the world outside or how their actions will affect it. They do not have plans or goals or values or friends or emotions or any of these things. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's important that the, that the companies producing these models make that clear, right? I mean, you, you know, every tech company wants people to think their products are magic or super intelligent <laughs> or like a human, but there's a danger in that. And I think the, the more responsible among the companies recognize that danger. There was a, a fairly famous story that my coworker at the Post, Natasha Tiku, wrote last year about a Google employee working on their AI who became convinced that Google's chatbot, which is called Lambda, um, which is you know similar probably in many ways to ChatGPT, mm -hmm. um, became convinced that it was sentient. That it was actually that it actually you know was thinking and was that thinking. it that it was deserving of rights and and you know that that was deeply upsetting to this engineer and that's something you know we we tend to when we see a machine using language like a human we tend to impute a lot of the other human traits to that machine and we anthropomorphize it naturally um, because human minds are what we have experience with. And so we think, well, this thing is talking like a human. It must be like a human. So that's a real risk here, I think, that that comes up much sooner than the risk of them actually being like humans. It's the risk of people thinking of them like humans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Matt, uh, I really appreciate the, the, the call and the question. Let's quickly go to Rich in Roseville. Rich, I've got about a minute and a half left, but uh, go ahead. Okay, thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. uh, well, since it's a short period of time, I, I think that may sound um, just too simplistic, but you could connect a lot of dots in that. That it basically comes down to, I would say, American greed and power. I mean, if anything sells, let's sell it. And, and <laughs> who cares about the repercussions? Mm. I mean, you look at things like the vaccine. They're making trillions on that, and they've got things covered up for the next 75 years or something like that, so nobody can get any information about it, and there's no repercussions if there's any harm done from this. Yeah. It has Rich, Rich I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but I do want to give our guest a chance to respond um, the, the the ethical boundaries, I guess, uh, of all of this is what Rich is trying to get at, Will, and and how much we're thinking about that. I've only got uh, about 40 seconds left, but but go ahead. Yeah, I'll try to make it quick. Um, you know, interestingly, uh, the profit motive, uh, you know, it's out there. It's going to come into play. It's starting to come into play as big tech companies invest in some of these startups and start to in invest in these, these models. But Actually, it was, it's really been researchers driving this so far. It's been researchers who want to publish, who want to push the boundaries, who want to see how smart they can make a machine. I don't think that's limited to the United States. I do think that there is a concern that without regulation or without you know some sort of norms evolving around what's okay to do and what's not okay to do mm -hmm. in this realm, there will be a, a race to the bottom. And so 
I, I, you know, I think I think it's right that there that there are incentives for companies increasingly to push out these models, even if they could cause harm. Um, but interestingly, it, it hasn't been mostly about the money so far. Um, it's and and so far, some of these companies have actually put in guardrails and been careful about how they release it. But as they start to race and increase in competition, I think we could worry about a lot of those uh, safety concerns going out the window. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Will Aramis, The Washington Post. Great to have you here again with us. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with MacArthur Genius Award winner Ruben Miller about his work on the long tentacles of incarceration and what happens when we overextend punishment beyond prison, a subject that we have been thinking about here in Michigan recently quite a bit. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>